this week, I read a devotional by uh, Max Lucado, and I, I want to share it with you as we start this last sermon in this series. He says, some of the saddest words on earth are, we don't have room for you. Sorry, I don't have room for you on my team. I'm sorry, I don't have room for you in my heart. I'm sorry, we don't have room for people like you here. Jesus was still in Mary's womb when the innkeeper said, we don't have room for you. A few years later, when he begins his public ministry, the religious leaders accused him of blasphemy, and they said, we don't have room for a self-proclaimed Messiah here, meaning on the planet. Even today, Jesus goes from heart to heart asking if he might enter. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks, asking if he might enter. But more often than not, he hears the words of the Bethlehem innkeeper, sorry, it's too crowded in here. I don't have room for you. The amazing thing, though, is Jesus says to people who have rejected him, I have plenty of room for you. In John 14, 2, he says, trust in me. In my father's house are many rooms. He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you. So when we make room for Jesus in our lives, he makes room for us in his house. He adopts us and we have a permanent home with him. The reason I, I wanted to read this to you is because when we follow, we've been talking about eight weeks of following. When you follow, you make room for Jesus in your heart. When you, we make room for him in our marriages, in our homes, um, in our schedules. We, we make room for Jesus. And, and this whole series has been about what do I need to do to take out stuff so that I have room for God, so I can be a fully devoted follower of God. So today, since we're finishing up, I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning and run through very quickly what we've done, what we've talked about in this series. First thing we said, the first thing is that Jesus invites everyone to follow. Everybody. Um, uh, not everybody accepts his invitation, but everyone is invited by Jesus. Come follow me. Second thing we said is that Jesus invites us to follow him. Not rules, not religion, not some church family. Jesus said, follow me. It's personal. You spend time with me. You'll begin to look like me. You'll begin to think like me. You'll begin to talk like me. Follow Jesus, not rules, not religion. Third thing we said is only sinners are invited. Jesus only invites sinners. If you are not a sinner, you don't need what Jesus has to offer. But the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's no, none righteous, no, not one. So his invitation is to sinners. If you're a sinner, you're invited. Number four, only doubters are invited. Not only sinners, but doubters. All of his, of his original followers doubted him until after the resurrection. Even his family doubted him, thought he was crazy. One time they tried to go rescue him from himself. They thought he was crazy, wanted to get him out of the public eye. They didn't believe until after the resurrection. So if you're a doubter, you're invited. Number five, following should lead to a faith that overwhelms our fears. If you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel was told not to pray to his God but he continued to pray to his God and then he was thrown into the lion's den and God protected him. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were uh, told not, they only could pray to a statue, a 90 foot high statue. And when they refused, Nebuchadnezzar became angry and was gonna throw him into the fiery furnace. He said, heat that furnace seven times hotter than usual and let's throw him in there. He gets him right to the beginning, right to the where he's gonna throw him in. And he says, if you'll fall down, I'm gonna give you one last chance. If you fall down right now and worship my idol, I won't throw you into the fire. And he says, what God is there who can deliver you from the fire? And they said those famous words. They said, oh king, our God is able. But even if he does not, we will not bow to you. The 
goal of following is you have that type of faith because if you believe that God is who God says he is in the scripture, if you believe Jesus has overcome sin and death in the grave, then what can any person do to you? They can kill you. So what? I get to go walk the streets of gold. You can do nothing to me if my faith is in Jesus Christ and that overwhelms my fears. That's where Jesus wants to lead you. Then next we said, next we said, we said you can tell what, who someone is following by what they wear. And so I, I thought this was rather creative and obviously it wasn't because y'all don't have any clue what this means. But I said followers of Jesus will wear chick flick PG. Thought this was so creative. Stands for, it stands for compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, kindness. Put it in there twice because you need to be more kind. And then PG is patience and gentleness. And we said, if you wear these things, people will know that you're a follower of Jesus because normal people, natural people without God do not act this way. They don't put this on. So it said, put it on like clothing, forgiveness, gentleness, humility, love, kindness. Put those things on. People will know you're a follower of Jesus. Next, we said that salvation is free. It, it costs you nothing to receive it. But this is what most of people here in America, in the, every church I've been in, most people don't understand. Following is going to cost you something because you cannot follow Jesus and hold on to stuff over here. Jesus wants it all. And, and by the way, he's not the only one that wants it all. Everything competing for your attention wants it all. So I don't know why people get upset when Jesus, they love the love and they love the compassion, but when Jesus says, you gotta follow me and give it all up, they get upset with that. Everything competing for your attention wants all of your attention. That's another sermon. Number eight. The best followers make the best leaders. We talked about that last week. We said Jesus is a leader worth following. Are you a follower worth leading? Today, we're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and his followers, and we're going to discover a very important question, and the younger you are, we've got some young folks in here, the younger you are, the more important it is to understand and ask this question. The reason is because every person here, young and old, are going to be tempted at some point to unfollow Jesus. Unfollow Jesus. There you go. Now, we're going to look at John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you have your, your phone, and you want to go to version and go ahead and get there, let me tell you what's happening. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He takes a Hebrew happy meal, you know, a couple of biscuits and a couple of fish sticks, and he feeds 5,000 men, the scripture tells us. And because this was such an incredible thing, the people wanted to make him king. Who wouldn't want a king who could take a happy meal and feed 5,000 men? Well, we also know that his disciples wanted him to be king because they were the inner circle. And if he becomes king, then they are part of the inner circle. His stock rises, their stock rises. Everybody wanted to make him king. Verse 15, look what it says. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus did what he always does when people try to force him to do what he's not going to do. He goes off by himself on a mountain to pray. He spends some time with his heavenly father and he sends his disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was his adopted hometown. He did a whole lot of stuff there and Capernaum is, it had this synagogue and, and it's actually within walking distance of where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a very famous uh, city on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. He sends his disciples there in a boat. Well, the next morning, all of the people, well, then he walks on water and finds them. That's a great story. Read, read John chapter six. Great story. He goes to Capernaum with him. The next morning, all these people who'd been fed, they're looking for him. And they realize one of the boats is gone and they think, oh, he's probably going to Capernaum. So they rush to Capernaum as quick as they can. As soon as they find him, they said, hey, magic man, do some more magic for us. 
They actually came to him and said, uh, if we're going to follow you, you need to do some more miracles. What is the next sign you'll give to us? And see, here's the problem with miracles and signs. Miracles don't addict you to Jesus. They addict you to more miracles. What have you done for me lately? Do this miracle today. We'll do this next miracle tomorrow. What are you going to do for me the day after that? Miracles do not addict you to Jesus. And Jesus wants to change your heart before he ever changes your circumstances. That's God's goal for your life. And if your heart's not going to change, he's not going to be involved in your circumstances. Now, many people do not want to follow Jesus. They want Jesus to follow them. Jesus, I want nothing to do with you until I get in trouble. Then you better come rescue me when I make bad choices. If I'm sick, even though I never acknowledge you in my life, I never go anywhere, never acknowledge, but you better come. If you don't come and heal me right now, God, I'm not following Jesus. Or people make silly financial decisions, and then they're on the bottom, and they say, Jesus, if you don't rescue me from my financial decisions, I'm not following you. You better show show up. Or they just get into trouble with dumb decisions and then they they have this ultimatum with God. You better show up or I'm not following. God wants to change your heart before he ever gets involved in your circumstances. If your heart's not going to change, then he's not going to be involved. So this is a very teachable moment. Hey, Jesus, do some more miracles for us. And Jesus begins talking to them about physical hunger. He said, hey, you remember yesterday when I met a physical need? I I multiplied the biscuits and the fish and I met a physical need. Here's the deal about that. You're going to get hungry again, even though I met that need yesterday. And then he begins talking about spiritual things. He says, if you eat physical food, you'll get hungry again, but God has something he will give you that you'll never hunger again. He's talking spiritually. They didn't catch the the change between physical food and spiritual food. Jesus compares himself. He said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Well, they didn't get this. And, And all they heard was come down from heaven. And they said, you haven't come down from heaven. He wasn't calling himself physical bread. He was saying, I'm spiritual bread, come down from heaven. They said, no, 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 we know Mary, we know Joseph, we know your parents, we know there's some weird circumstances about how you supposedly were born of a virgin, we don't buy all of that stuff. We know where you're from, there's your mom, there's your dad, we're not gonna buy this, you're from heaven talk. And the conversation just gets worse and worse and worse from there. They didn't get it. And honestly, I don't think they wanted to get it. And if you don't want to get it today, if you don't want to get Jesus' spiritual talk today, what he says next is beyond weird. It's actually pretty gross if you don't have ears to hear what Jesus is saying. And I want you to to understand, they knew exactly what he was saying, but they didn't understand it was spiritual. So look at verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply. They had a heated argument. By the way, this is at church. Nobody's ever had a heated argument at church, have they? No, okay, no. That's only in the Baptist church. Um, They had a heated argument among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There's a key to what he's talking about there. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Spiritual talk again. Your ancestors, he goes to physical, your ancestors ate manna and died. So when they came out, out of um, Egypt and they're wandering the wilderness. They needed food. Jesus gave them this little wafer-like stuff. Manna means what is it? They didn't know what it was. What is it? Just like you ate the physical food in the wilderness and you died. Then he switches back to spiritual. He says, whoever feeds on this bread, the bread that came from heaven, the spiritual food will live forever. 
And then it says, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So I love that this was all at church. Now just imagine, we don't have a marquee out front and as long as I'm living and the pastor of this church, we won't have a marquee out front because I can't stand marquees out front and they say different things. I'm just not doing that. But imagine if I put up the sermon title for today, Jesus' sermon title, Eating Flesh and Drinking Blood. Man, that would just draw people in, right? They're gonna be driving down the road. Oh, let's go there. Sounds more like a Walking Dead episode than it does topic for church. And see, people misunderstood Jesus all the time, happened all the time, not just here. If you go back to John chapter three, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, comes to Jesus at night and he says to Jesus, we know that you come from God because if you didn't, you couldn't do the things that you're doing. And Jesus goes, you're not even gonna see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And I would love to have seen Nicodemus's face because he had to be confused because he says, how can a grown man enter his mother's womb a second time? What? Misunderstood. Jesus wasn't talking literally. Again, that's weird. John chapter two, the chapter before that, Jesus is near the temple in this magnificent temple that Herod built. God had nothing to do with Herod's temple. You need to understand that. So God didn't bless the temple. He wasn't there. He didn't have his presence there. Even the Holy of Holies, it was not there. But anyway, he's standing next to the temple one day and and they said, give us a sign. They were always wanting signs. Magic man, do some more magic for us. So we'll know you're from God. And Jesus said, okay, here's a sign. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it again. And they're like, it took 46 years to build build this temple and you're going to raise it again in three days. But the scripture says in John two twenty one, it says, but the temple he spoke of was his body. And after his resurrection, this is like, this is what it says. This is awesome. After his resurrection, the disciples remembered what he said and they believed the scriptures and they believed Jesus after the resurrection. This is awesome. People all the time are misunderstanding when Jesus is talking spiritually, they take it literally. And so this was the day at church, eating flesh and drinking blood, that the moms reach over and cover the ears of their kids and like, hey, baby, what? The, the, the Sea of Galilee is just 100 yards over there. There's some great skipping rocks out there. Let's go skip some rocks today. No, we don't want to hear about eating flesh and, and drinking blood. This is disgusting. Cannibalism, really? That's sacrilegious. Yes, it is. If you know the Old Testament, that was sacrilegious. Jesus said, I came to fulfill everything in the Old Testament. And this would have been a violation of that. So we know he wasn't talking physically. He was talking spiritually because Jesus came to fulfill everything. He was not speaking literally. Okay, then that brings the question. If Jesus is talking about eating flesh and drinking blood to get eternal life, what in the world is he talking about? How do we eat his flesh and drink his blood? Well, I believe it's through the word of God. Let me tell you why I believe that. Deuteronomy 32, seven says this, God's speaking through Moses and he says, these words I have given to you are not idle words. These words are your life. Live by the words, accept the words, obey the words, they give you life. Psalm 34, seven says, taste and see that the Lord is good. One of my favorite verses. Well, how do you taste and see the Lord is good? You are fed by the word of God, the bread of life. You're fed by the word of God. You understand, you, you accept, you obey those words and you taste and see that God is good. And by the way, you don't even have to be a Christ follower to obey God's word and see it work. God tells you how to do marriage. When you do marriage like that, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you will have a better marriage. If you do business the way God says to do business, you'll have a better business, whether you're a Christian or not, because they're God's principles. Now, later in in John chapter uh, 66, verse 63, Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you, so he's talking about eating flesh, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, and life. 
And then I love this. If you go back to John chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we know when you get down to verse 14, we know that the word was Jesus because verse 14 says this, the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. All that Jesus was saying was just as you take physical food into your body and you absorb it into your body and it becomes a part of you, so you need to receive Jesus within your inmost part so that he can become a part of you. He can send his Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. Those who accept the word of God accept the Savior and receive a new birth. Those who reject the word of God reject the Savior and they do not receive a new birth. And my, my fear is the, vast, of the ma- vast majority of the people at church that day in Capernaum missed it. And I don't want you to miss it because I've been in, in, in church since I was born. I'm 53 years old and literally I was in church as soon as my mom had me take somebody else, take care of this baby. Um, so I grew up in church And I think the vast majority of people have missed what Jesus is saying here. Now, the apostles are listening and and they're thinking the same thing the other people are thinking. They're thinking, man, it's going to be a bad offering today, boys. At least Judas was thinking that. If Jesus were running for a political office of king, don't you know his campaign manager would cringe and immediately pull out his phone and start tweeting, "Uh, Jesus didn't mean to say that. Here's what Jesus meant. Or he'd contact all of the networks and say, "We we need to do some damage control because of Jesus' words here. Now, don't you know, okay, don't you know at the beginning of this, so the, the, the synagogue in Capernaum is not very big. Probably if you take these two middle sections back to the back wall, it's about that big. Don't you know church was packed that day? Because the miracle worker, the guy who took the Hebrew happy meal and fed by the day before is preaching and everybody knew about it. They're gonna be packed in there because if the backup pastor is the miracle worker, don't you think people are coming to church that day? yes. But by the end of church, very few people were there. Here's how I know that. Verse 60, on hearing it, what Jesus said about flesh and blood, many of his disciples, not the 12, this is the others, said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? These folks have been following for a while and they're like, you want us to do what? Now, it wasn't that hard to understand Jesus' teaching. It was hard to accept it after you understood it because Jesus is asking for their whole life. And the disciples, they're these practical streetwise guys. And in my mind, I see Peter, James, and John. They're the inner circle of the 12. I see them kind of getting together and say, we got to do something now. We're losing the crowd. So they go and they put their arm around Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, you know, why don't we, why don't we walk over here and discuss this? Matthew, why don't you come out and tell some tax collector jokes? Because they always go over well, especially from a former tax collector. They take Jesus out and they go, come on, Jesus. Give them a parable. Nobody understands parables anyway. Or, or talk about love. Everybody likes love. Or, or talk about um, being kind to your neighbors. Everybody likes that stuff because don't you understand, Jesus? The crowd, we need the crowd. The crowd is our buffer zone between us and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are out there at the edges. And the Pharisees want to kill you. If the crowd is gone, there's nothing to stop them from killing you. For the love of God, Jesus, please stop talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. They knew he was losing the crowd. Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Understatement. And then look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. See, miracles, man, that'll bring crowds in. 
Love your neighbors. That's lots of crowds. Everybody likes that one. Let the little children come to me. That's a great slogan for your children's ministry. Put it on a bumper sticker. We should, we should say that, Jesus, because families, we need families. Oh, and, and the way you treat women, Jesus, nobody's ever treated women with respect like you do in the history of the world. Hashtag respect women. Jesus was respecting women thousands of years before it became popular in our society. But eating flesh and drinking blood, you got to stop. Because if you don't, Jesus, everybody's going to push this button. Unfollow. And we need the crowd See, the, the 12 the disciples are watching the crowd. They're listening to Jesus, watching the crowd, listening to Jesus. And I believe every one of them is thinking, maybe I should be leaving too. Because this is, this is getting weird. And so, you know, you could, you could pull out your cell phone and you could pretend, oh, I got a text or hello. Oh, you have an emergency? Yeah, I, I got I to leave. Sorry, emergency, I got to go. But I think, I think they're, you know, they've been sitting there a while because church was on hard rock and stuff like that. And so maybe, they're, maybe their foot goes to sleep or they're pretending, you know, you got to walk. And it's, okay, it's okay, I'm just going to walk. And they walk and they get to the door and they just keep on walking because this is bizarre. And without saying these words, here's what their actions say. If Jesus isn't going to lead where I think he should lead, I'm out of here. Jesus knows the hearts of men and he turns to his 12 that are there, and here's what he says in verse 67. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Are you guys going to bail on me? Now, they had learned not to lie to Jesus, not because it was a sin, but, but because what's the point in lying to Jesus? Because like, if you whispered something over here, Jesus would make your conversation known in front of the group to your shame. If you even thought bad thoughts in front of Jesus, he would make your, your thoughts uh, known to the group to your shame. So you might as well tell the truth. So Jesus asked them, are you going to leave me too? And this is the question that Jesus is asking you today. Are you going to unfollow him? Are you going to leave him too? And some of you are like, no, not me. I'd never leave Jesus. Okay, Peter. Or if you're a woman, Petrina. We'll just call you Petrina. Really? You're never going to unfollow Jesus. I'm just going to tell you right now, there's three times you're going to be tempted to unfollow Jesus. I want to tell you ahead of time, and then I want to tell you the question that you need to ask before you unfollow. So here's some times of, of, of when you're going to be tempted to unfollow. Times of transition is the first one, high school to college. I remember just wanting to sleep in my first semester at college, but both of my roommates were Christians. That was annoying. Both of my roommates were good Christians, and that was really annoying, so it just got all over me that... Doug, you going to church? Yes. My second semester, I finally got my head on straight and I started going and enjoying church and, and learning about God. Another transition is when you go from college to your first job, or it could be from any job to another job, and you get into an environment where people do not have your best interests at heart, they don't love you, and they don't follow Jesus, and you may want to try to fit in with them. And, and you think... Um, you know, I have, to, I have to do this just to get along. And, but what I want you to understand is very few people quit following Jesus because they don't think it's true anymore. They quit following because it becomes too hard or too inconvenient or too unpopular or too lonely. They think nobody in this environment, my job, my, my community, my college, nobody here takes following Jesus seriously. Yeah, mom and dad took it seriously, but nobody here. So I'm just going to quit following Jesus. So in times of transition, you're going to be tempted. Another time is in relationships. You're going to be tempted to unfollow Jesus. He's so hot. 
Is he a what? A Christian. Oh, a Christian. Uh huh. I think so. You think so? Well, he goes to church. Well, you didn't answer my question, but I'll play, play along. Uh, how often? How often what? Does he go to church? Mm, maybe Christmas and Easter? Hmm. And see, uh, I said this in the first service, and of course Matt's here. He knows this. If you want to date my daughter, one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, how and when did you meet Jesus? How are you following Jesus right now? How are you going to lead my daughter spiritually? And if you fail those questions, you don't date my daughter. That gummit Matt had the right answers. <laughs> He's still around. See, people are always, because I ask. I'll ask you, teenagers, you come up and tell me you're dating somebody. First question I'm asking is, are they a Christian? Are they a what? Every time. Well, they go to church. That is not what I ask you. Are they following because you need somebody who's following Jesus. And people are always like, lighten up, Douglas. That's my name in Haiti because they don't have an uh sound in, in, in French or in Creole, and it's really confusing. And so they call me Douglas. And so I just say, moi, really, Douglas. That means my name is Douglas. And it sounds like doom glass. And, in, and doom glass means this big bucket of ice water. And so you'll see them go, doom glass, doom glass. <laughs> I say, yes, I'm a big bucket of ice water. Yeah, that's what I am. Lighten up, Doug. Anybody can become a Christian, but not everybody can look like him or her. And what you've said is you'd rather follow that person than follow Jesus because Jesus is getting in the way of your relationship. What you're saying is Jesus doesn't do what I want. I'm out. I'm going to unfollow. So people do it all the time in relationships. Third time you're going to be tempted to unfollow is in tough times. Something bad happens in your life, and sometimes all that happens seems to be bad. And, and I'm sorry, I just go back to, to hee-haw. Every time I think about this, I go back to hee-haw. And in my mind, I was picturing this. I'm actually going to take you a little further than I have before. They had this scene, this, every, every episode, every week on a Saturday night, they, hee-haw would come on, and there'd be these people laying around on hay bales and you know, just doing this stuff. And, and this song would start off, and they go, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And what I'd forgotten until this week is then somebody who's depressed, because they're all depressed, you know, no smiling, gloom, despair, and somebody would go, oh. So gloom, despair, and agony on me, oh. And as a kid, I'm going, this is the dumbest segment I've ever seen. But anyway, <laughs> deep, dark depression, excessive misery, oh. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me, oh. <laughs> Some of you. If you didn't have any bad luck, you didn't have any luck at all, and, and you begin to blame God, and you say, I've prayed about this, and God doesn't answer. And what you're really saying is, God isn't faithful to me, so why should I be faithful to him? You need to understand, before God changes your circumstances, he wants to change your heart. And if you start living this, God's not faithful to me, I'm not going to be faithful to him, your heart has not changed, God's not going to be involved in your life. Jesus knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. And he says, are you thinking about leaving me too? My first semester at college, I struggled to follow Jesus. Second semester, I got my head on straight and I actually changed my major to church music because a year before I had told God, I will follow you anywhere. If you want me to be a minister, I'll be a minister. The only thing I knew was music. I, I said, I will not preach. <laughs> And so I said, I'll, I'll be a music minister. That's what I thought I, would, I was going to be. So I changed my 
my major to church music. Nine months later, I got my first job as a music minister at Grace Baptist Church, China Spring, Texas. If you blink, you, you, you have gone past China Spring. I think we had 20 people in the church the first Sunday, two or three teenagers, and they said, hey, we need a youth minister. You want to be a youth minister? I said, sure. I was 18 years old at the time. That was kind of funny. But I started following Jesus there a year later. This is interesting to me. A year later at a youth camp, Latham Springs Baptist Encampment, I met this cute little girl with blue eyes named Janie Gardner. And she, yeah, but she was jailbait, and I knew she was jailbait, and so I just, you know, hey, whatever, and, and didn't pay much attention to her. Three years later, I, I graduated from college, and, and I actually quit ministry because I had some really tough times in my first ministry, and so I was like, if this is, if this is what ministry is like, I'm going to quit. And I didn't, I didn't quit following, I just quit ministry. I moved up to Bedford. I was near my brother. My brother's 12 years older than me. I was near him, and he was pastor at First Baptist Colleyville, and I joined First Baptist Colleyville, and he had three kids at the time, and, and I began to coach uh, my nephew in, in baseball, and, and, and as, as God would have it, sorry to say as luck has it, as God would have it, after a few months, their music minister left, and so my brother said, my, my little brother has his, his um, degree in church music. He could be our interim music minister. So First Baptist Colleyville hired me as the, as the interim music minister. And so I went to church, and they had like three people in the church my age. And, uh, and it, was, it was a sad singles department. Um, so, so I didn't do a whole lot with them, and, and I was really, really lonely. Now, in my apartment complex, they would have a keg party and a, a DJ pool party every Saturday. And luckily, I wasn't close enough that I could see it. I didn't even want to see it, but I could hear it where my apartment complex was every Saturday afternoon, whooping and hollering. And, and I got to tell you, because I was lonely, I was tempted to go. But I thought, I'm on staff here. People know I'm a Christ follower. I can't go do something stupid. So I'll stay here in my apartment and be lonely. And every grandmother in that church tried to set me up with every single woman within 600 miles, it seems like. And just nothing worked out. I did date a couple of girls. Nothing worked out. When I figured out I wasn't supposed to marry them, we broke up. And it was lonely. It was another three years before Janie and I started dating seriously and then got married. And, and during that time, I just said, okay, God, you know, I could go to a bar. I could go to this pool party. I could go to the huge Baptist church down the road that has this massive meat market, I mean, singles department, where, where I, could, I could probably meet somebody. In fact, my brother was telling me, go to that, go there. There's all kinds of good-looking, Christ-following women there. You should go. But I felt like God called me to that church. It wasn't long until God called me to my first-time youth ministry position in Austin, Texas. And, and, and I, I tell you all that to say three years of incredible loneliness where, where I didn't do much of anything but play golf and, and hang out with my brother and his three boys and sit in my apartment and watch TV and only had three channels at the time. And, and it, was, it was bad. But here's the thing. This is why I tell you this. This May, Janie and I will, be, will have been married 28 years. Those years of loneliness are a distant memory what God taught me, though, during those years of loneliness, he taught me what it was like to follow him. And then he brought me my wife. So all of that's a distant memory. You don't get that blessing, though, if you're not following. All of Jesus' closest followers had a moment when they thought about unfollowing, and Jesus said to them, point blank, are you going to leave me? And I bet the tension was, was thick in that room as they're thinking. Actually, they're not thinking. They're thinking baseball. They're thinking woodworking, anything so that Jesus doesn't know their thoughts, you know, because they don't want to lie to Jesus. But what do you say to Jesus when he says, are you wanting to leave too? Yeah, I want to leave. 
Peter, who normally we think of putting his foot in his mouth, Peter asks an incredibly important question. And you need to ask this question next time you're tempted to unfollow. Here it is. Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Do you want to go? Well, honestly, yes, but I've thought about it and I don't know where I'd go, Jesus. So Peter recognized something most people don't realize until it's too late. And here it is. Unfollowing Jesus means follow someone else. When you turn your back on Jesus, you're not just walking away from Jesus. You're following someone else. And some of you right now, you're in a school or you're in a job where people aren't rushing up and patting you on the back and going, man, I admire how you follow Jesus. No, in fact, it's hostile to Jesus. What most people don't realize in our society especially is, is everyone's following somebody. And that's because you were created by God to follow. And you have a choice about whom to follow. You were created by God to follow someone. He wants you to follow him, but he gives you a choice about whom to follow. Simon Peter says this in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, I remembered when you came and you invited me to follow you, I was fishing with my dad. Nothing wrong with fishing with my dad, but you invited me into history. And do you know what history is? History is his story. It's God's story. And, and Peter said, man, it's, it's probably not going to be good. Peter, do you know what to expect? No. And based on this sermon we just had about eating flesh and drinking blood, it's probably going to be bad. Well, isn't that a reason to leave? No way. This guy has the words of eternal life. I'm not leaving. Jesus has invited you to follow him into something bigger than your life. So get your eyes off of yourself. Look at your Facebook account. Whatever you post most could be what you're following. My car's not little. My car's awesome. Come back in 20 years and tell me how awesome your car is. Have you seen my girl? She's worth following. Come back in 20 years. Have you been to a 20-year reunion? 30-year, I'm over the 30-year thing. and whoo. Come back, come back and tell me how awesome they are and how worth following they are in 20 or 30 years. God's called you to something bigger than that. And this is why I tell you this. When you, when you unfollow Jesus, you always trade down. You never trade up. You'll exchange eternity for the temporary. If, when you unfollow, there's going to come a day when you wish you could go back to that moment and change your decision and decide to stay. Peter said, there's nothing that compares with you, Jesus. And then look at verse 69. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I tell you this because if you go to college, when you go to college, your, sim, your, your college professor is probably going to be smarter than you book-wise, but it doesn't mean they're wiser than you. And if you choose to unfollow based on something a college professor said, you need to understand that college professor is following somebody. If you're going to unfollow, please first ask this question, to whom should I go? Because, because here's the deal. Are you really going to unfollow Jesus to follow that professor? If that professor is worth following 2,000 years from now, 2018, 4018, 2,000 years from now, if that professor is worth following, people should still be talking about his or her words. Do you think they will be? No. Let one, let one cycle of freshmen go through, freshmen through senior go through when that, when that professor retires. They won't even know that professor's name, even if you stick it on a building. I, when I was at Baylor, they had the hand camera school of business. I don't know who hand camera was. Went to Roxy Hall. I don't know who Roxy was, the, the music school. Roxy Hall is where we, we did all of our concerts and stuff. I don't know who Roxy was. Every single professor that, that was at Baylor when I was there is either retired from teaching or they re have retired from life. Are you really going to follow them over Jesus? You're going to have questions. Why, why didn't, where was God during the tragedy? Why didn't God 
heal my mom, stop the shooter, keep the birds from flying into the plane engine, keep the drunk man from killing my friend. There's always going to be questions. If God is good, why doesn't he do this? There's always going to be questions. But here's the thing. It's a mistake to unfollow Jesus based on unanswered questions. Just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. It just means you don't know it yet. Peter, if you stay with Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? Nope, probably going to be bad, but I'm going to follow anyway. See, when it looks like Jesus has abandoned you, he hasn't abandoned you. I want you to remember this verse, Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him. Do not stop there. I can't stand it when people stop there. Oh, God works things together for good for those who love him. That's not what all the verse says. Look at the next part, who have been called according to his purpose. It's not enough to say you love him. You gotta be called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose means follow. You want good to come out of your bad, you gotta be following. He doesn't promise it to people who aren't following. So I want you to think about in advance what you're gonna do because wisdom comes from that. Wisdom comes when you consider the options. If not Jesus, who are you gonna follow? If you can't answer, don't you make a decision. If not Christianity, what are you going to worship? If you can't answer, don't you dare move. To whom shall I go? That's the question I want you to ask. And don't you move until you can answer that question. See, here's the deal. Salvation is free. We've said this through this whole thing. Salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. Following is going to cost you something. If it doesn't cost you something, it's worth nothing. It will accomplish nothing. But here's what I really want you to understand as we finish this series. Refusing to follow Jesus could cost you everything. Would you bow your heads? I want you to think about what is it, what is an area where you are not following Jesus? Or it may be where did you used to follow Jesus that you're not following him anymore? And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to write that on the back of your registration card. And if you'll, if you'll share that with me, I'll pray with you over that that God will be become number one in that area of your life. God is speaking to you today about some area where you used to follow or where you've never followed. He wants you to follow with all your heart. And I don't understand why people get upset with Jesus. They love the, the love your neighbor. They love um, be kind to your enemies. They think that's great. But then when Jesus says it's all or nothing, you have to, you have to give up everything to follow me. People are like, no way. I don't understand why people think that's crazy because everything that's competing for your attention wants everything of your attention. So why do they get upset with Jesus? Father, we ask you to teach us what this following means, that we'll become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.